Here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about the teachings of Jesus. To do that, we're going to use some particular teachings of Jesus as an example. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. You can turn there. I'm going to do a little bit more intro before we get to the text. But I want to look a little bit more big picture about Jesus' teaching. First of all, I want you to get an understanding of what it meant that Jesus was a rabbi, that he was treated as a teacher. And there are some parts of being a rabbi that Jesus fits into and some that he does not and actually really bothers the other rabbis with. But I also want to try to help you understand that what Jesus teaches and the way he teaches also says something about who he is. Teaching was a major part of Jesus' earthly ministry. We know that Jesus taught for long periods of time and attracted great crowds. Even though we have a fair amount of his teaching in the Gospels, we, we don't have all of it. In fact, even the teaching that is set up as sermons in the narrative seems to be uh, phrases and stories and pieces that are put together. But, but we don't never get a cold transcript of a sermon. A whole transcript of a lesson that Jesus did. And so we sort of have to piece together some of his teaching. He taught with little phrases, with stories, with ideas that captured the people. Jesus taught through parables. Parables of a lost sheep, lost brother, conversations between heaven and hell, workers in a vineyard. I'm actually going to do a sermon upcoming about parables. So we're going to let those particular teachings set aside for, for this sermon. He taught with rich images, fig trees, bread and wine, moving mountains, shepherds and lilies in a field. Jesus taught with paradox very often. The last will be first and the first will be last. Blessed are the poor. Be in the world but not of it. He who wants to gain his life must lose it. He taught often about the kingdom of God or sometimes the kingdom of heaven. The idea that God's rule was coming to earth. But it didn't look like a normal kingdom the way we would think. It's small like a mustard seed. It surprises you. It's within us. Much of his teaching revolved around who he was. He would say stuff like, I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. This is my body broken for you. If you want to understand Jesus, you've got to understand what it meant to be a rabbi in those days. Because Jesus' teaching is very Jewish, and most of us are very not Jewish. So you've got to go back, and we've got to reconstruct a little bit. So, so let me talk about, first, what it means to be a rabbi. And then we'll look at Matthew to see some of these things play out. Becoming a rabbi first started by becoming a disciple. When you were young, as, as a Jewish boy, you would learn parts of the Torah, parts of the Scripture. And the further along you got, you would memorize more and more and more. And then often the best students were picked and called by rabbis to be disciples. And so as a disciple, you would follow your rabbi everywhere and you would try to understand your rabbi. Not just by understanding their teachings. Disciples weren't really learners. Disciples were fundamentally doers. The idea was you would follow your rabbi and you would try to look like your rabbi. You would try to act like your rabbi. You'd eat what your rabbi ate, trying to become like them. So, so you wouldn't just think, you wanted to be able to think like them. Not just know what they know, but to be like them. Being a rabbi was a lot like 
reproducing. You're trying to reproduce yourself and your rabbis in your disciples. This helps explain why Peter gets this wild thought that maybe he should walk on water while Jesus is. Because disciples are supposed to do what their rabbis do. That's what disciples are all about. At some point, normally around the age of 30 when Jesus started his earthly ministry... Um, a rabbi might take a disciple and present them to be a rabbi on their own. And so you would have your own interpretation of the Torah, often called a yoke. That's what it would be called. Where it would be your interpretation of, the, of what's going on in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. So when the Bible says, Thou, you're not supposed to work on Sunday. Well, what constitutes work? The rabbis would discuss stuff like this. And some would say, well, you could walk 200 steps away from your house and that's not work. But at 201, then that's considered work. You can make food at this sort of level, but if you make a full banquet, no, that is considered work. You can't do that. And so because those things weren't really clear in the text, rabbis would debate about this stuff and would have their own opinions. And so each rabbi would have their own yoke. And it would depend on what rabbi you followed, what, how much of those laws you would follow. So when Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's not just saying, he's not just a metaphor about an animal's yoke. He's using a term there that rabbis had. He's saying, I don't have all these extra laws. I'm not about all these extra rules. My yoke's easy. You would interact with the Torah as a rabbi. That was the whole thing. You were always debating with the scriptures. Um, The idea in the Jewish understanding of the scriptures is that, that God is so infinite. He's so much bigger that we could never understand him. That the book written about him must be infinite too. And so the Bible is so big that it's meant to be wrestled with. It's meant to be questioned. It's meant to be pursued. The more you knew about the Bible, the better questions you would have from it. That's why Jesus is always answering questions with other questions. Because that's what rabbis did. If you knew enough, you knew enough to ask better questions. (coughs) So at about the age of 30... A rabbi, could be, a rabbi could present a disciple with another rabbi to be, to be evaluated whether they could be a rabbi. But you notice Jesus doesn't do any of this, does he? Jesus isn't a disciple of anybody. He's not presented by anybody. In fact, this drives the other rabbis crazy. Whose authority are you under? The rabbis would debate on different points. Again, how much work was there on the Sunday? What is the greatest commandment? Who is my neighbor? And different rabbis would ask these questions and they would debate about it. And so a lot of times when the rabbis ask Jesus questions like that, who is my neighbor? They're actually asking Jesus, what rabbi do you follow? Whose teaching are you getting your understanding of neighbor or what the greatest commandment is? But again, Jesus doesn't fall into that, does he? He has his own teaching. He has his own authority. If you pass that and you were accepted as a rabbi, you had your yoke, then you could have disciples. Again, right about the age of 30, right when Jesus comes on the scene, never having been a disciple, having been a carpenter, and starts calling his own disciples. And notice that his disciples aren't disciples of another rabbi. They're fishermen. They're people who are not picked to be disciples of other rabbis. 
As a disciple, you would sit at the feet of your rabbi. You would try to learn from them. This is the same phrase used when Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha's in the kitchen. Because to sit at feet is not just a place or a position. It's a metaphor. It's a picture for what you're supposed to do as a rabbi or as a disciple. You sit and you listen and you learn. And so we can see that Jesus was a rabbi. He has a Jewish understanding. He teaches a lot through questions. He teaches a lot as the rabbis would through stories and through parables and through images. Trying, to, trying not to just get the lesson like a bullet point. Here's the three things you need to know about what it means to follow God or to pray. But what he wants is people engaged. That's what rabbis would do. So let's take a look at Matthew 7. We're in Matthew chapter 7. I'll encourage you to either have your own Bible. That's what I would really encourage you to do. Have your own Bible and bring it. If you don't, there's Bibles in the pews. Matthew chapter 7. And here we go. This first verse is going to be very familiar to you. It's one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to a brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Verse 1, perhaps the most quoted verse today about uh, from the whole Bible. And it's always in the King James Version. You notice that? If you ever hear somebody quoted, they'll say, Judge not, lest ye be judged. They say ye. The only other time people say ye anymore today is if they say yee-haw. That's it. Nobody says ye except quoting this verse and yee-haw. But is that right? Is this a blanket statement that we shouldn't be judging other people? Actually, I don't think so. Because Jesus goes on to explain that verse that no one ever quotes the rest of this about a log in your own eye. And Jesus is really kind of being funny here. Let me try to point this out to you. This is Jesus' teaching. Hey, you got something in your eye. You really need to take care of that thing. You know what? Let me get that for you. Let me get that for you. You really need to take care of that thing in your eye. That's pretty ridiculous, right? I I think we miss how humorous Jesus' teaching can be. He wants to be funny. He wants to be shocking. The more I read the scriptures, the more I read the gospels, the more I think Jesus is pretty funny. That's a pretty funny way to talk about hypocrisy, right? But we've all seen that, haven't we? A dad yelling at their child for being out of control. Your boss chewing you out for how you treat other people. We've seen this kind of hypocrisy. It drives us crazy when someone does to us what, they're, what they are complaining about us. When the measuring stick is not fair. The person who acts all religious and tries to demand that you be all religious when you know some of the skeletons in their closets. Jesus uses this image to teach us the truth about ourselves. Is it a prohibition against judgment? Actually, it's not. What Jesus is saying is, when you judge other people, and and the expectation here is actually that you should be judging other people. 
But you better be fair about it. You better deal with your own stuff before you're messing with somebody else. Whatever the measuring stick is, it needs to be fair. Jesus' understanding is that you should help take the speck out of your brother's eye, but you better take care of the log in your own first. From social psychology, we, we have this thing called fundamental attribution theory. Have you ever heard of this? I learned about this in college. I think it's really interesting. When other people do something, we tend to attribute that to their character. But when we do something, we tend to attribute that not to our character, but to something else. So if I'm late, I tend to think, well, I'm just having a rough morning. But if you're late, I think you're a lazy person. Like, I actually think it's something about your character, but I judge myself differently. Social psychology tells us what Jesus told us 2,000 years ago. How often when we judge people, we don't judge ourselves the same way. And so when you judge, you should not be hypocritical. See, this is the way Jesus teaches. He very often uses imagery, very often uses visuals, often uses story, trying to get people to understand and stick with stuff. So that, so that this week, when somebody's being really hypocritical, you can remember the two by four in my eye and kind of think, man, that's annoying. Man, I hope I am not like that. Sometimes this is really clear for us. Sometimes a little harder for us to understand. Okay, what is this stuff about dogs and pigs? Let's talk about this. Verse 6 again. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Dogs, you need to understand, are outcast animals. There's, people did not have pet dogs in the Middle East in these days. So dogs are wild animals. Okay? Dogs are like the raccoons of our day, the skunks of our day. Except dogs can be really pretty mean and vicious, travel in packs. Dogs are outcast animals, and often dogs are an image in that culture of people that are wild, that are crazy, that won't listen to reason. In fact, dogs are very often an image in, in Jewish culture for people who are not Jewish. Jesus uses this image multiple times in his teaching. Pigs should be an obvious one in a Jewish culture, right? Pigs are a dirty animal. They, they are a dirty animal. But they're also, in this culture, unclean animals. Meaning, ritualistically, you're not supposed to eat them, you're not supposed to be around them. The, the choice of pigs is an important thing. And Jesus uses pigs in several of his own stories. So, um, what's Jesus saying here? Don't give to the dogs what is holy. There's a lot of debate about what he's talking about there. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Pearls are very, very valuable in these days. Um, They don't have equipment to be able to raise clams to make pearls or to scuba dive to go get pearls. There's not a lot of pearls. They're very expensive in these days. Let me try to give you this image. You know, my wife this morning looked all over my house and we could not find a pig. I thought piglet or something would be in my house that was a stuffed pig. There is no pig in my house. I don't understand. So we have a kangaroo. We have to pretend it's a pig. And so Jesus is saying, you don't take costly stuff. I don't have any pearls in my house. I have beads. And don't. Don't throw it to pigs. Right? 
There's a certain humor to this, right? It's ridiculous. Why would you throw pearls to pigs? And what is Jesus saying here? He can, we can easily see the image, but for us it's a little hard to connect with it. Well, I think it ties into the previous. I think Jesus' comparison is that good judgment, judgment that is important, that you get that is not hypocritical, is like is something holy. It's something costly like a pearl. It's something valuable when somebody can give you honest and important feedback. But you know what you don't do with your feedback? With your good judgment? You don't give it to somebody who's not ready for it. You don't give it to somebody who's not willing to accept it. That it's unclean, it's not going to take it. They won't, they'll not only trample on it, but they'll come back at you. Isn't that what he's saying here? And turn to attack you. You've probably done this to people, right? Have you ever tried to give someone gentle feedback that they did not want? And they don't just not accept the feedback. Often they come back at you with their own judgment. This is what people do. If I'm starting to feel judged, I turn around and judge right back. I think Jesus is saying that, yes, we ought to be judging. We ought to be giving each other feedback. But it needs to be done the right way. It needs to not be hypocritical. And it needs to be done particularly with the people that are already in the fold. Not the dogs, not the pigs, not the unclean. This is what Christians want to do all the time. We want to judge the world and say, look how terrible those people are. But we don't want to give each other honest feedback about things that we need to correct in our own lives. And it's a problem. Not that we should just go around judging everybody. That's not where we're supposed to be. But there's, there is a time when somebody's got something wrong in their life and they need a Christian brother or sister to come along and say, you've got a speck in your eye. You've got something there that needs to be taken care of. So if you understand Jesus' imagery, it's really a wonderful truth-telling moment here. I mean, I think, I think this is one of the reasons why I really stuck with Christianity when I became a young adult and thought about not. Because when I read the Bible, it, the Bible has a way of just explaining how the world really works. I have seen hypocrisy and it drives me crazy. I have seen people jump back when we try to give them feedback and it drives me crazy. But that doesn't mean we bail on it. It means that we're careful about it. I think Jesus gives us a way around this, a way to answer this. And I think he sums it up very well a little bit later in Matthew 7. In Matthew 12, here's a very familiar passage to you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We call this the golden rule. Jesus never called it that, but but it is an important rule. Do to others what you want them to do to you. How different would the world be if we actually did that? I mean, I think not only is Jesus explaining the problem of a lot of our relationships, Jesus is giving us a wonderful answer. What if you started really treating people the way you wanted to be treated? That could change the world. That could change our culture. I think Jesus is using some really funny images to capture us, to say, let's try this a little differently. Jesus is giving us some wonderful guidance. But he's doing it as a rabbi, isn't he? Does everybody see the connection here? That as a rabbi, he doesn't just come out and say, here is how you be Christian community. He's telling with stories, with metaphors, with images. And what else is he doing? He's interacting with the law and the prophets, right? He's quoting this, saying this is the basic understanding of the law and prophets. 
He's interacting with these themes that are going on. He's going back to the scriptures all the time to try to understand and get more meaning and more depth out of them. But something else is going on here. And we get it clued in in the end of Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. See, the scribes, the Pharisees, the other rabbis, when they would teach, they were always searching for other authority. It wasn't their own. They would just quote other rabbis saying, this rabbi said this was work. This rabbi said that was the greatest commandment. Jesus doesn't do that. He's not seeking to, to find authority. He is speaking like he has authority. Which is amazing to them and frustrating to them because he was never trained as a rabbi. He was never a disciple. Where does Jesus get this authority? He gets asked this multiple times by rabbis in the texts. But he is God come to earth. He is the Savior. He can speak about God because his entire purpose is to represent God to people. Jesus made the world and he can say how it is. He can describe it and he can describe answers for making it better. Rabbis would always want to talk about what other rabbis said. But Jesus would always say, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. Jesus doesn't need everybody else's authority. He has his own authority. And so we know that Jesus is not just a rabbi, not just a great teacher. You hear people say that all the time. Oh, Jesus, he was a great teacher. People that are not Christians are interested in Jesus' teaching when they just quote, judge not lest you be judged. Not when they really study. But he's not just a rabbi. He's the rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He's the teacher. In fact, he's not just a teacher. He's the ultimate lesson himself. That's why so much of his teaching is about describing who he is and what he came here to do. He's the ultimate lesson. He made the world, and he is in the ultimate position to tell us how it works, and his spirit works in the world today if we would just learn to listen more. So the challenge for you today is, would you become a disciple of this Jesus? Would you give the rest of your life not only to study his teaching, not only to sitting at his feet, but to trying to be like him and be what he has called you to be? That Jesus would be more than a rabbi, more than a teacher for you but he would be your Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your teaching. Thank you for your lessons. Thank you for their ability to hang on to us, to haunt us, to stick with us and challenge us. Give us the courage to read them more, to study them more, and to try to follow them. Help us to be better disciples, we pray. Amen.